The DCF, Department of Children and Families, works to help keep children safe from abuse and neglect. But the biggest challenge isn't securing funding, it's finding the right people to do the work. 80 to 90% of the hiring of social workers. Generally speaking, when I had an authorization to hire, I would end up with 80 to maybe 120 resumes. I'm at a point now where I get about 13. There's just not the availability of qualified staff to fill a lot of positions, not only with us, but with a lot of the agencies that we contract with. Jumping into commercial real estate right after graduation isn't easy. But it's a little smoother when it's the family business. Right now, if you have real estate, hold, don't sell because I think there will be a market low. But if you have the money as well, buy. Right now, my biggest thing is cash is king. This is the language of business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs. Anyone thinking about a startup or a business pivot or just getting underway and looking for some help. Hear from experts who've been there and done that. Learn about strategies that work and strategies that don't work. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. In this episode, Greg Stoller talks with Dennis Pilot, area manager for the Massachusetts DCF. But first, Ashish Ramesh passed the real estate license test as a freshman and now is full speed ahead in the commercial real estate business. Here's Greg. Thank you, Don. A very common expression is success runs in the blood. And that well might be true of our next guest. We welcome Ashish Ramesh to the Language of Business. Thank you so much. Ashish, you are a real estate concentrator at Boston University. What courses have you taken in connection with that concentration? I'm currently in the hotel school at Boston University, studying real estate development, as well as have a minor in finance. The courses that I have taken in the hotel school specifically are like asset management, financial accounting, managerial accounting. But I think the biggest types of courses that I have taken that have helped me was actually the real estate salesperson's course. And that's actually a course that's outside of school and that helped me gain my real estate license. It's actually a 40-hour course and gave me like so much exposure to the real estate industry, just learning about the course itself and then taking the exam just gaining so much real life experience rather than just book knowledge. That was the biggest course that I gained the most advantage in. That's terrific. And how have you applied that knowledge, not only to getting your real estate salesperson's license, but also other internships along the way? Absolutely. Freshman year, I have been a student sales agent at a local real estate firm here, and I help students find off-campus housing. So it's really helped me there. And also last summer, I had the privilege of working at JLL, Joel's Lang Sale, which is a commercial real estate brokerage firm. So during my time there, I got to like, shadow brokers and see how they sell buildings and just learn the daily jargon that real estate brokers would use. The biggest piece is to apply yourself, anything that you learn in school, like the classes, for example, in financial accounting, you use every day. Those are just some of the pieces that I got to use during my brokerage or real estate experience. I mentioned that it's in the blood because your family comes from a very successful real estate and hotel background. Tell us a little bit about that, please. I was actually born in a hotel, so that's a little fun fact about me. My parents own and operate a small hotel development and management company back at home in Fort Lauderdale and have been dealing with real estate for about 30 years. My dad and uncle run the business together and we develop and own franchise hotels. So you can say we're franchisors. That's been a really big part of me since the age of like 12, 13. I've been working front desk and going to the office every day. That really gave me a lot of exposure that I wouldn't generally have just being a part of a business. I hope your parents got an upgrade, by the way, when your mother was giving birth to you. They did. <laughs> I understand that you're going to be joining a real estate company full-time after graduation. 
parlaying your internship and your other knowledge academically, what specifically are you going to be doing? I will be joining Watermark Real Estate Trust. It's actually a lodging trust in Chicago, and I will be doing acquisition analyst. The biggest piece that I seem to have been missing throughout my career is acquisition or the investment portion. So I wanted to get my feet wet in that sector of the business. So I will be basically analyzing new deals or any acquisitions that the company goes through. So doing any budgeting or due diligence that the company needs or even planning out pro formers, looking at star reports. That's just stuff that I'll be doing in the future. You've spent four years here. What are your thoughts on local, either commercial or residential real estate trends in Boston? Boston, you see on Com Ave, it's exploding. Buildings here in Austin as well are local residential houses are being bought out by the multiples and being knocked down and turning into apartment buildings. So the residential market in Boston is huge. Just college students alone just bring that demand that a lot of cities don't bring. In regards to commercial real estate, there's a lot of development going on in the financial district and as well as Seaport. Seaport was completely like, like you guys know, a parking lot. And now there's so much development going on there. Commercial real estate and residential real estate are exploding right now in Boston. So would you recommend that people buy, sell, or hold? Right now, if you have real estate, hold, don't sell because I think there will be a market low. But if you have the money as well, buy. I, right now, my biggest thing is cash is king. And how about at home in Fort Lauderdale? Fort Lauderdale as well is, I'm sure a lot of people know, is exploding. A lot of people are moving down there from New York, California, a lot of states in general, and they're not able to find houses. So that provides a huge opportunity. A lot of land is being bought up and a lot of houses are being built, which in turn brings more a lot of commercial real estate development as well. In Fort Lauderdale, we used to learn, run a lot on tourism. So we didn't have a lot of office buildings being built now. A lot of restaurants and stuff are coming back just because of COVID-19. Fort Lauderdale did have a bigger hit than Boston did just due to the fact of tourism, but it's rebounding a lot quicker than a lot of people expected. So same question, buy, sell, or hold? Buy. I would believe buy in Fort Lauderdale. And do you expect any regional surprises or local surprises when you relocate for your internship? Biggest thing with me is being born in Fort Lauderdale. I don't really like the cold. I know Boston's pretty cold as well, but four years I thought was good enough for me, but now I'm going even to a colder spot in Chicago. I really enjoy the city when I was there and I'm look, really looking forward to the team I'm being a part of. It's a really small team. The only challenges I see, the company was actually recently acquired by another company. So I'm just really interested to see how that turns out for me. I don't really see that being as a roadblock, but I do see that being as an opportunity rather than a weakness. Ashish, thank you very much. No, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Me. This is great. Ashish Ramesh, soon to be graduate of Boston University, who is going into the commercial real estate industry. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. Next up, we hear from Dennis Pilot, area manager for the Massachusetts DCF, on why it's so hard to find the right people to hire when the language of business continues. I didn't even realize what it meant to be in a top tier business school until my first day. And I just really, for the first time, felt like I was in a place where everybody knew what was going on and everyone was incredibly driven to study this and perfect this field. And so I think being in a top business school really means that you are finding the barriers and the edges of the field and pushing them a little farther. And that's what Questrom has taught me over the past four years. The curriculum at Questrom is really helpful because you get to not only study the basics of business, such as accounting or marketing, but you really get to dive further in and to see applications of the health sector and how business applies to sustainability efforts around the world. They really want us to kind of focus it on four emerging areas, and those areas were healthcare, security, sustainability, and technology. Those are really where the jobs are going to be. They really want us to come out from the Question School of Business and, like I said, be able to work in any area of the industry. Interested? Go to bu.edu slash Westrom.
You're listening to The Language of Business. We learned about jumping into commercial real estate right after graduation. Now we'll hear how the challenge in running the Department of Children and Families is not securing funding, it's finding the right people to hire. Back to Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. State funding is always a challenge no matter what industry you're in, but how about when it relates to children and family services? We're on location with Dennis Pilot, who is an area manager, and welcome to Language of Business. Pleasure to be here and pleasure to answer any of the questions that you guys have. Thank you for having me. What do you do as an area program manager for the Department of Children and Family Services? I oversee it five different teams of social workers. Three of my teams are child protective services. The other two teams work with adolescents. I also do uh, coordinate a lot of the other initiatives in the office, a lot of the programming, internships, oversee most of the adolescent placement and quite a few initiatives, trainings in our office. And how did you end up working for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and particularly for this department? What I wanted to do out of undergrad, I ended up spending six months working in a private agency and then always had my eyes set on this. And then I've been there since November of 1988. Wow, that's a very long time. That's already over 30 years. It feels like it was yesterday. That's great. I hope it always feels that way as well. What is unique about Massachusetts' approach to supporting children and family services? So a lot of it is just, I think, the commitment to resources, especially over the last administration. They see the role of the department in a very different way than some of our neighboring states in terms of what our involvement is with families. The major focus is on trying to make sure that we provide services and supports to families to keep them at home. And when we do need to place them outside of the home for safety reasons, there's a big focus to working with families, extended families, what we call kin placements. There's a major focus in on that. We tend to be involved in a lot more families than a lot of other states in terms of trying to get involved a little bit earlier on to provide the supports for families uh, before things get worse. What comes first, a friendly governor or better funding? Sometimes they come together. Different political parties have different. We tend to do better under the Republican administrations as opposed to the Democratic administrations. Overall, the revenue for states is pretty fixed. I mean, the pie is what it is in terms of revenue. In general, when the Republican administrations are in, we tend to be focused in a little bit more. When it's more of a Democratic administration, there's a lot more programming that people want to do, and that comes out of the same pie. So uh, generally speaking, uh, our slice of the pie gets reduced a little bit in terms of other initiatives. Other departments tend to do a little bit better on the Democratic administrations, while we tend to do a little bit better on the Republican administrations. Massachusetts has been a beneficiary of substantially additional funding at the federal level from COVID. How much of that do you anticipate is going to trickle down into your agency? I think a lot of it has on a lot of different levels. Again, I think just overall funding with COVID has been extremely challenging through different points of the pandemic. Initially, I think part of the struggle is even though there's a lot of funding, there's still a lack of availability in terms of services because there's just not enough people to work. A lot of our programs, a lot of folks aren't as open to taking foster children into their homes. Vaccination issues, just overall, there's been a decrease in the number of available foster homes. And the same with uh, placing kids in programs, even finding clinicians. Generally speaking, I think both in profit and nonprofit, you're looking at most of the agencies we're working with. If I had to guess, it's somewhere around 60% capacity around what they would normally be able to provide due to a lack of available people to work. 80 to 90% of the hiring of social workers. Generally speaking, when I had an authorization to hire, I would end up with 80 to maybe 120 resumes. I'm at a point now where I get about 13. There's just not the availability of qualified staff to fill a lot of positions, not only with us, but with a lot of the agencies that we contract with. I'm sorry to hear that. Let's drill down on that piece for a second. You have a 30-year tenure in state government. What advice would you have for someone, if you had to go through it all again, who's considering that line of work? 
it's just the passion to make a difference. And I've always felt that it's an experience of working with state government to be in a position where you can provide a lot of support and, and help for folks. You're in control of a lot of the resources in some ways in terms of the decision making. So you're in a position that the buck stops with you in many ways in terms of decision making. So I think that can be helpful in some parts of it. Obviously, there's additional responsibility that goes with that that sometimes can be challenging. Over the years, I've run into a lot of folks and just a rewarding experience in knowing that you are going to make a powerful impact. If you work hard and you do a good job, there'll be a positive impact. If things don't work out, sometimes it's not so good. But I felt like I've made a strong impact in many, many lives over the years, and it's kept me going. Your enthusiasm is contagious. You mentioned a few moments ago that you are not receiving a lot of qualified resumes. Is this part of the great resignation? Is it that you're trying to attract millennials? Help us to understand why so many qualified resumes have dried up. I think it's a combination of all of the above. A lot of us have started, and before we came to the agency, DCF is not generally known as an entry-level position unless you complete an internship. So we hire a lot of our interns. Well, during the pandemic, we weren't able to really hire a lot of interns from a lot of folks coming in. So I think a lot of people have resigned part of that. But I also think that a lot of folks are really nervous about going into people's homes and around doing some of the work. Definitely people have shied away from that and just mental health services in general. When you're doing the work that you're doing, I think it's emotionally intense. People's overall mental health has been compromised due to the pandemic. And I think for a lot of folks, it's just been really, really a struggle to do that. The other piece is working virtually. We've lost most of the people that we've hired initially as early part of the pandemic. People are teleworking in many ways convenient, but also it's really important for you to be able to develop relationships with your coworkers for support and not being physically present with each other has been a real challenge. Initially, people were not asked to come to the office and most of those folks have not stayed. Now we're insisting our new staff to be there for the first six months. And since we've done that, we're finding a lot more retention with our new staff. Dennis, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Dennis Pilot, Area Program Manager for Children and Family Services for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Back to you, Don. Thanks, Greg. Support for the language of business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. We're available wherever you get podcasts or ask Alexa. Social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Music by Randy Barth of Oswee Media. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio production, editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.